and welcome to this Endo Life episode 50. I'm Jessica Duffin and this podcast is all about living and thriving with endometriosis. So I feel like episode 50 is a bit of a mark, I don't know, like a milestone. I don't actually love the whole like counting the numbers of episodes we do. It's quite helpful for being able to refer back like I'll go listen to episode blah 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 although I never know what episode I'm referencing to so I always say the name of the guest anyway but I don't know I don't want it always to be about quantity I want it to be about quality but having said that episode 50 that's a milestone right so and it's taken me a while to get there because I've had some ups and downs along the way so yeah I just want to say thank you for being here with me and if you're new welcome if you have been listening since the beginning, thank you so much. Um, it means the world to me. And I really hope that um, it's making life of endometriosis easier for you. This episode is sponsored by my friends at BU. BU period patches are 100% natural, acts like a plaster so they stick on across your abdomen or your back wherever you're in pain and slowly deliver menthol and eucalyptus oil to the points of pain. These oils are scientifically proven to reduce muscle cramps and so they start reducing pain um, by easing and relaxing the muscles, the muscles in your pelvic area. These guys are part of my go-to period pack and I use them for about the first two days of my period. I stick them on under my clothes, they're really discreet and thin so they're not bulky, you can't tell they're there, they're literally as thin as a plaster. I personally feel that they're a reasonable price, they're affordable. And they really, really work for me. I'd been in pain the other day for about 48 hours with interstitial interstitial cystitis pain. Um, and I put them on and literally within 20 minutes had gone. And I was so annoyed with myself that I hadn't thought to use them earlier. You can get five per pack. So depending on your the length of your period, they'll last the average period. And you can subscribe so you can get them delivered to you every month. They're $6.99 for a pack or $4.99 if you go for a subscription. To shop, just head to the link in my show notes and start soothing period cramps a natural way. This episode is also sponsored by my free endometriosis diet grocery list. This free download gives you an overview of the endometriosis diet and eating for your hormones, tips on shopping for endo on a budget and deep dives into everything I eat on a weekly basis every month. I've also provided my favourite resources for learning more about nutrition for endo if you want to go that bit further. This download is a really perfect way to get an understanding of an anti-inflammatory diet for endometriosis and what that might look like. As always, this guide doesn't replace your medical treatment and it's not intended to treat or cure endometriosis, but it provides you with options that help me to live well with endometriosis. And it's here to inspire you to shop maybe a little bit differently and try different foods out. It's not a diet protocol. So it's not a diet that you should be following, you know, to a T perfectly. This is my personal diet and it's here to serve you and inspire you and give you some ideas and see what eating for endo is like in real life. To download, just head to the show notes and follow the link to get your copy. So. Before I get started with this episode, I just want to do my normal kind of disclaimer, I guess, that what works for me won't necessarily work for you guys. And everything that I talk about in any of these episodes, they're just what I've learned on my journey and what I'm learning in my course, what I've researched. And 
what my kind of version of managing endometriosis doesn't have to be the same as yours. So don't feel that you have to do all of these things and don't feel like this is specific recommendations for you because they're not. This is generally, you know, this is me sharing my story and what I've learned and hopefully it will give you some information and insight to help you be able to create your own path of management and, you know, reducing your pain and the symptoms that you deal with. Today, I'm talking about dairy and endometriosis. I stopped eating dairy because I'd read when I first started researching if you could reduce symptoms through diet um, and, you know, lifestyle changes and stuff, that dairy was an inflammatory food. And often on, well, the resource that I found, the first resource that I found that I talked about in healing, my, my healing journey um, episode, it said to avoid dairy, um, said to avoid m- red meat or meat, I think as well, and gluten and caffeine and sugar and fried foods and stuff like that. So I knew that. And then I hadn't, but I hadn't fully started. I hadn't done that yet. I wasn't avoiding dairy yet, but I had really bad stomach problems. Um, I know that a lot of people with endometriosis suffer with constipation, but I never suffered with that. I just always had a bad stomach. And then I got tested, had some blood tests, like I um, talked about in my healing, um, healing endo journey. And my test results came back that I was extremely intolerant to dairy. So when I stopped eating dairy, pretty much like all of my stomach problems like my bloating went down massively, but I still bloat from random things. Like I, I bloat from carrots. I bloat from sweet potato. It's really weird. But the majority of my bloating and my stomach problems went. And I was at a point where I was like uncomfortable going out for dinner because I didn't know if I'd have like a really bad upset stomach whilst I was in the restaurant. Like I'd kind of avoid going out. And I really worried about it. But after I stopped eating dairy, like it went away and I tried to eat it a few times and my bad stomach almost like it would come back immediately. Like when we were in Greece, um, I couldn't get like a vegan pizza and it was a really long story. But in the end, I had a, a pizza with cheese on it and I was so sick afterwards and definitely like milk and cheeses, soft cheeses really bad news for me and obviously I was vegetarian and I wanted to go like plant-based vegan so that was a catalyst for that and over time I've tried to like occasionally like I've wondered if I should bring eggs back into my diet for various health reasons and I don't really want to go into the health reasons because I'm I'm really on the fence with eggs I'm really unsure about kind of their health benefits versus their kind of negatives because there just seems to be conflicting information out there on them. But obviously, eggs that aren't organic are often like the the hens are pumped with hormones. So that's kind of one of the reasons why a lot of resources and books will say to be careful with the source that the where your eggs originate from and to go organic. Obviously, I just chose to eliminate them because I wanted to eat plant-based. But I've tried to eat them a couple of times over the years and I just don't like them and I personally just uncomfortable with the idea of eating eggs but at the same time occasionally I've eaten like oh, I've eaten like a pastry like when I was in Denmark I was like I'm not not eating a cinnamon like a cinnamon bun thing 
So anyway, dairy, I found such a huge relief from when I cut that out and my pain reduced with that as well as my stomach problems. Really now, dairy never crosses my lips. And if I've like accidentally been given like the wrong coffee, like Chris drinks milk and stuff, I don't like it. Like I I actually hate the taste of it. So I'm really, really happy with um, like vegan cheese replacements, like cream cheese and mozzarella and stuff like that. I do miss like things like well, at Christmas, I miss like Wensleydale and cheddar, but the replacements for those are getting better and better every year to the point where now in Brixton, there's a cheesemongers, a vegan cheesemongers, and the cheese is insane. So that's nice. And it's not exactly the same. It has its own kind of style, but I'm, I'm really enjoying that. And I love all of the dairy free chocolate. So I don't really find avoiding dairy a problem. And I found that it's really helped with my stomach symptoms, my bloating and my pain. So obviously I experimented a little bit in the beginning and whenever I I brought dairy back in, my pain increased. So personally worked for me really well. I've got a download. So there's a free download with this podcast episode um, of like my favorite replacements. And it's not just brands, it's kind of like different ingredients that you can use to replace dairy with. But, you know, generally I've got like Oatly whole milk or Oatly barista for tea and coffee. I like so hemp and plenish milks for, you know, uh, porridge and things like that. Yogurt wise, I use Koyo or Nush um, or Coconut Collaborative. So they're not based or coconut based. Cheese, Violife is good for kind of like junky cheese like cheese slices that you're going to put on like your hamburger your hamburgers <laughs> your burgers and for cheeses that are more like you know Wensleydale or cheddar or blue cheese new roots um or feta things like that new roots are great i love them kind of co and mouse's favorites all of those are brilliant butter recently found a vegan butter that's organic and it is incredible. It tastes delicious. Um, and it's called Naturalite and it's, I think it's Danish and they sell it in Sainsbury's in the big Sainsbury's supermarkets in the butter aisle. Uh, that's incredible. And then to replace egg, we tend to use flaxseed. So, um, I'm going to link to, no, actually, yeah, in the show notes, I'm going to link to this flaxseed egg recipe by Minimalist Baker. Um, it's literally mixing flaxseed and water. And I know some people can worry about like the estrogen, like increasing estrogen with flax, but the likeness that you're going to be using it every day is very small. So I'm, I'm personally fine with that. Psyllium husk, psyllium husk, I can never work out how to say it. Chia eggs or nut butter. They're all great egg replacements. And the, oh, complete, how could I forget about this? Aquafaba. So aquafaba is chickpea water. So it's the water that comes off of chickpeas. The protein that's in chickpeas kind of like comes out of the chickpeas or something. It makes meringues. It literally replaces eggs, like full stop replaces eggs. It's incredible. And I'm going to find the link to the guy who like founded it. He's got like a whole website and stuff. And it's amazing. So um, we've used that in recipes before. We actually used it in a donut recipe because it's just a really good binder if you're working with like gluten-free flours. So yeah, I'm going to link to my free download 
just sign up for that and you can download the free download that's got kind of all my favorite replacements and brands and links to recipes to help you kind of navigate life without uh, dairy if that's your kind of thing just a reminder that today's episode is sponsored by bu literally these guys are one of my favorite period companies full stop I love BU already, thanks to their incredible natural pain relieving period patches, which I've spoken to you guys about. But as if that wasn't enough, they've now brought out a high quality CBD range too. You can choose from a CBD muscle balm, which contains only natural ingredients, uh, oral drops or sprays, which are flavoured only with natural flavourings. The oral drops and the oral spray come in three different flavours, natural, lemon and berry, and the CBD muscle is purely natural and contains beeswax and some gorgeous smelling oils such as lavender and eucalyptus. To shop, just head to the link in my show notes and let me know if you try them. This episode is also sponsored by my free endometriosis diet grocery list. This download gives you basically a lowdown of what I eat every week on um, a monthly basis and my personal take on the endometriosis diet. It's not a protocol, set protocol that you have to or should follow, but it is here to serve you, give you inspiration and help you see what eating for endometriosis might look like in real life. It's there for you to kind of take inspiration from and help you put your own approach together. To download it, just head to my show notes and follow the link to get your free copy. Now that's obviously like my reasoning why I went dairy free and kind of my experience. I guess if you want to hear more about my transition, it would be worth listening to my healing journey, which I'll link to in the show notes. But because dairy veganism is so accessible now, it's reasonably easy to even make your own nut milks or buy them. You can make your own coconut yogurt. So that has been my experience and it hasn't been really that difficult but because I'm not yet qualified I thought I would share with you guys some expert opinions on dairy because it's useful for you to hear it saves you from kind of buying loads of books and doing research so this I'm gonna read you a couple paragraphs from Woman Code by Alyssa Vitti on dairy most women suffering from any of the three categories of hormonal conditions menstrual fertility or libido can greatly benefit from removing dairy and wheat from their diet. There are several reasons why. Dairy is loaded with estrogen. It contains 60 to 80% of the estrogen consumed in the American diet. What's more, cows on most modern dairy farms are pregnant nearly all year round and milk from a knocked up cow contains about 33% more of a certain kind of estrogen that can affect the human body than milk from cows that aren't pregnant. While the last thing any woman with a hormone-driven condition needs is adding more estrogen in the, into the mix, this is especially true for women with, dealing with fibroids and endometriosis. Estrogen has growth-stimulating effects in your body, just as it causes us to grow and mature in puberty, and these can make the excess tissue growth you're already experiencing with fibroids and endometriosis even worse. Casein, the indigestible portion of dairy and gluten, elicit an inflammatory response in the small intestine, whether or not you're allergic to them. Although you can have occasional doses of these things and the body neutralizes the inflammatory response with antioxidants from the diet. So that's interesting. So that's probably why 
I can get away with eating a little bit of sourdough and I feel okay. Anyway, back to it. The reality is that all of us are overexposed, so our small intestine is constantly in an inflamed state. This compromises your ability to properly absorb all the nutrients from the food that you eat. Both dairy and wheat tend to slow transit time in the large intestine. This increases estrogen dominance because your body can't clear out hormones out of your system quickly enough. When you're not going to the bathroom regularly, estrogen permeates the lining of the large intestine and makes it makes its way back to your bloodstream, leading to an excess of estrogen in your body. So, yeah, that's what Alyssa Vitti has to say about dairy. She does talk about more about sensitivity to dairy and things like that. Um, but I thought that's kind of the most interesting point that she makes about it. And then in Henrietta Norton's book, Take Control of Your Endometriosis, so you're going to hear me with the pages now, this is what she has to say about dairy. Dairy gets an awful lot of bad press for intolerances and ill health. It is thought to stimulate the production of mucus and to trigger an immune reaction in those with a genetic disposition to atopic allergies such as eczema and inflammatory conditions such as psoriasis and hay fever or arthritis. There are plenty of women who, gen- who are genuinely affected by dairy intolerance and although I am a staunch believer that we eat and drink far too much dairy in the Western world, I do not believe that these intolerances stem from overload as much as from poor quality. I am convinced that the detrimental effects are, in fact, not so much to do with the dear old cows, but more to do with our handling of dairy products. We pile chemicals into the food the non-organic cows eat to increase their production, and then homogenize, that's the word, and pasteurize milk to remove a great deal of its goodness. Sadly, even organic milk that that you can buy in supermarkets goes through a process of pasteurization. I do not believe this benefits our health in the way we, we might like to think. Proper raw milk from organic, well-nourished cows contains a fabulous cocktail of essential fats, proteins, vitamins and minerals, as well as beneficial bacteria and lactase, the enzyme missing in individuals who are truly intolerant to dairy. Pasteurising removes these. Without them, you cannot digest, digest lactose and digestive disturbances and intolerance can begin. Raw milk, therefore, provides a full package to be able to deal with intolerances and, result, and resultant allergies. According to evidence from both my own clinic and those two of fellow health professionals, raw milk can help eczema, hay fever, allergies and asthma. In my house, we have raw organic milk delivered to our door each morning and the entire family drinks it. Even my youngest child drinks it despite having a bout of eczema in the past. His skin now retains the appearance of a beautiful baby's bottom all over. Raw organic milk has to carry the warning, caution, this milk could be bad for your health. This is an interesting comment when we live in a world that is creating superbugs because of our extreme hygiene. In cases where my clients have self-diagnosed them to be dairy intolerant, I urge them to swap small amounts of raw milk before avoiding dairy completely and to limit their intake. A healthy intake for anyone is around half to a full mug of milk a day. By following the Nurture Diet, that's the diet she references later, um, she outlines in her book, you are likely to reduce dairy intake by de- default. If you are pregnant, the current health recommendations are to avoid dairy products that are unpasteurized. They are also not recommended for children under the age of five or the elderly. For anyone under medical supervision, do check with your medical supervisor and ensure that raw milk and that ensure that the raw milk is produced at a reputable farm. She also says, if you decide that dairy really is not for you, suitable alternatives are coconut milk, rice, or almond milk. Calcium is dense in nuts chickpeas, tofu and dark green vegetables so you can ensure your calcium intake via these means instead. 
In order for the body to absorb calcium effectively, it also needs a high magnesium content and these foods contain ample supply of this mineral. Try avoiding dairy for three months to see if your symptoms improve. After this, you could try to reintroduce raw milk to see if the symptoms come back. So that's what the lovely Henrietta Norton has to say about dairy in her book, Take Control of Your Endometriosis. I'll link to all of these books in the show notes as well, by the way. I highly recommend all of them. So then um, the wonderful Maisie Hill in her book, Period Power, says dairy is a divisive topic. In the West, we're brought up being told that we need to consume lots of calcium, that milk is an excellent and healthy source of it, and that drinking it will help prevent our fracture risk. Yet there's no medical evidence that humans need to consume milk from animals. If you exercise regularly and have a healthy diet with lots of leafy greens in it, then you're likely to get all the calcium you need without needing to eat dairy. And a 12-year study from over 70,000 women conducted by Harvard found that consuming dairy does not reduce fracture risk. Health agencies have been lowering their recommended daily allowances of calcium through diet and are promoting exercise to improve bone density instead. When I'm helping a client to assess if they want to experiment with cutting out dairy, here's what I explain. The majority of cow's milk contains a hell of a lot hell of a lot of synthetic hormones which are given to them to sustain milk production such as estrogen, testosterone, progesterone and cortisol and insulin. Consuming these hormones via the dairy in your diet can disrupt your own hormones. On average, dairy cows receive two antibiotic treatments annually, one to prevent and one to treat mastitis. And evidence of antibiotic use in food animals can result in antibiotic resistant infections in humans has existed for decades. Low fat and fat free don't help with weight loss and they may contribute to weight gain as well as reducing ovarian function. When fat is removed from milk, it also reduces the absorption and use of fat-soluble vitamins A and D, which are required for bone health, and it makes calcium more likely to go into the soft tissue of the body instead of your bones. Dairy triggers inflammation in some people, probably because of a, because of a protein that tends to be present in, in cow dairy called A1 casein, whereas dairy with A2 casein is better tolerated by most people. A2 dairy comes from some breeds of cows such as Jersey, as well as dairy that comes from sheep and goats. If you're going to have cow dairy, look for produce which is full fat, grass-fed and as hormone-free as you can get it. Okay, so I will put a link in the show notes to Period Power as well. That's what free women's health experts have to say about dairy. So, you know, from what they have to say, my takeaways are go organic if you can to avoid the hormones and be wary of how it feels on your body and kind of in smaller amounts than we're made to believe. So if you want to kind of learn more about dairy, I think it's best to speak to, if, if you want, kind of want support on cutting down dairy, obviously it's, it's great to speak to your doctor and a dietitian or nutritionist. But I just want to leave you with kind of three points in terms of nutrition. You know, it's really important that we take responsibility for our health. If we are removing a food group, then we might need to up a certain some other food groups or just make sure that we're tracking where our minerals and vitamins are coming from. So getting enough calcium, make sure you're eating greens, leafy veg, things like tahini, pulses and dried fruit. Although you might want to be careful with dried fruit due to the sugar content. Getting enough vitamin D, so getting out in sunlight um, every day and potentially taking a supplement and B12 is actually a microorganism it's a bacteria that I believe cows eat they ingest and then it's in their gut but we can get that bacteria we can get that from supplements so 
making sure that you take a B12 supplement. Um, that's B12 deficiency is actually really, really quite serious. So if you are going to go vegan, um, please or look or cut out dairy. Please do look into B12 and talk to your doctor about that because that's that's quite important. Um, there is actually advice on NHS, the NHS websites about that. I will link to that in the show notes actually. So I hope that's helpful. As I said, I'm not a nutritionist. Not, I'm not a nutritionist. I'm not a dietitian, but I wanted to kind of provide you guys with research from the experts as well as my own experience and story and kind of my tips for that. If you want to kind of start experimenting with, you know, reducing your dairy intake, if that's what you feel you need to do and it works for your body, then do download my free download and that takes you through my favorite replacements for dairy. So I hope you found this helpful. Yeah, again, you know, this this podcast isn't about replacing your treatment. It's about helping you to discover what works for you and um, create you a path of management. So I do hope it's helpful and that you are able to take something from this episode, whether you want to stick with dairy or not, or just change the way you consume dairy. If you want to find out more about what I do or read more on endometriosis and living well with it, um, you can head to my Instagram page, which is this underscore endolife. Um, you can head to my website, which is www.thisendolife.com. And you can also get um, a free guide to managing endometriosis naturally on my website. Um, I've put the link in my show notes. It's a beginner's guide to getting started and all of the areas that I um, have worked on to help reduce my endometriosis symptoms and pain and live well with endometriosis. As always, if you like this show, please rate, review and or subscribe. It really, truly does help others to hear the podcast and hopefully will help them to live better with endometriosis. This episode was produced by The Pod Farm. Whether you're an established podcaster or just getting started, visit thepodfarm.com to see how they can help you go from an idea to a finished show that's ready to be heard by the world.